Welcome to the Transform Your Mind Radio Hour and Podcast, a show about transformation, mindset transformation. This is Life Coach Marnie Young, and in my book, Out of the Snares, A Story of Hope and Encouragement, I share my journey of being born in poverty in Guyana to have an abundance in America. And I did it by changing my mindset. Let's go do it. Each week, I bring you guests or one-on-one coaching sessions to help you change your mindset and transform your life. Welcome back to the Transform Your Mind to Transform Your Life radio podcast and television show. I'm your host, Life Coach Renny Young, and sitting in the guest chair today is Karen Johnson. Karen is the author of Living Grieving, and I have my copy here. <laughs> yes, and um, we're going to be talking about today is how we can grieve while living. And I'm so, so excited to talk to Karen. I read her book. It's a powerful book. It's a powerful story. And I couldn't wait to talk to her. Like I was just telling her, I, I came here two hours early for the interview. <laughs> so I'm hoping that you guys will stick around because this is, this is powerful. So welcome, Karen. Oh, thank you. And I'm thrilled to be here. <laughs> yes. Okay. Awesome. I'm very thrilled to have you here. All right. So let me set this up by giving you a short bio on Karen. Karen V. Johnson, fast-paced professional career as a federal judge, came to an abrupt halt when she lost her 27-year-old son, Ben, to a harrowing overdose. Rather than grieve in a way that made people around her comfortable, she did the unexpected. She quit her lifelong appointment career, sold her house with all her belongings, and went on a two-and-a-half-year journey around the world finding a spiritual and healing practice along the way. Karen didn't think that she would ever get find her way out of despair, but she found a process that works and share her journey of transformation with others so they can heal too. Her work is structured around the, shem- the shamanic practices of mindfulness and the journey of the four winds medicine wheel. Karen blends her personal story with meaningful experiences, offering exercises related to each other, to each of the four practices of becoming unstuck, becoming lighter, awakening, and creating a new life. So that's the, you know, that's the leading to our conversation today. But like I said, I have a copy of her book and thank you so much um Karen for sending me a copy of your book and I feel such empathy with you for your loss and for the love that you have for your son you know the story just jumps off the page and because of that I really wanted to talk to you because it opened up a lot of questions for me so I was yes you know and I read your book before I go to bed at night and um so it's great so all right So um, I want to start off by asking you to share with the listeners your grief journey 
of the death of your son from a harrowing overdose. It's a powerful story. So, you know, share, share with those listening how that came about. Um, Ben, my son, Ben, so 27 years old, and he was struggling as many young men are trying to find himself trying to decide if he's going to try to start a business, go back to school, many things. And so I was going on a vacation to South Korea for a week. And I thought to myself, well, when I get back, we're going to have the big conversation. I don't care how uncomfortable it is, you know, the ones we always avoid and say, well, maybe later, maybe later. And so I went to South Korea and um, one day I, in the afternoon, I just wasn't feeling well and into the evening. And then all of a sudden I get this call and they hang up. And so I just had this feeling that this is, this is not good. And so I called the number and a detective answers. And I say, you know, did you just call me? I'm Karen Johnson. He said, yes. Um, Where are you? And I said, well, I'm in South Korea. And he said, okay, well, I have some bad news for you. I'm like, what? Did my son have an accident? Did it, what happened? What, you know, I'm sorry, but he's dead. You know, what, from what? A heroin overdose, what? So he, he wasn't, at least in my mind, or maybe I don't know all the details, but he wasn't a big user. And I had the ME look and there weren't needle tracks anywhere, just one, the one that killed him. But, um, so he had gone to a party with them, some other young guys and they got drunk and they decided, hey, we're going to try heroin and all their 27 year old wisdom. Right. Only for him, he was six, eight and, you know, 200 and some 60 pounds or and they gave him too much and he died almost instantly. And he and I were very close and it just rocked my world. So they say that the death of a child and an unexpected death are the two worst ones to survive. So when you have an unexpected death of a child, you're in a bad place. Yeah. So, so that's the, that's the bad part of it. The other side of it is, you know, it's always the blessing and the curse, the yin and the yang. So the other side of it was, so the next morning, I couldn't even get out of South Korea. It was nighttime when I got the call and day is night, night is day. I couldn't get a flight until the next morning. So I was sitting in the airport in South Korea. And um, I see ben. that's my, that's my most favorite part of the book, by the way. And I was going to ask you that question. <laughs> yeah. So it's my most favorite part. Well, yeah. Anyway, tell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't wait to hear what other questions you're going to ask. I'm excited about your questions. This is great. This is great. So um, yeah. So I'm sitting in my chair and I see Ben in front of me, just like he is in life. And he's smiling his big old grin and and then he fades away. So I desperately, frantically call my ex-husband, his father, and say, you got to check. I think he's alive. I think he's in the, um, I think he's in that refrigerator and he's trying to get out. I think he's alive. You got to go. And so he calls the Emmy who very kindly looks and says, no, I'm sorry, he's gone. Um, and so, but that for me was a doorway. Death is always a doorway. Death was a doorway into believing in life after death. And that's something that I did not believe in before. I didn't have much of a spiritual practice. You know, I couldn't figure out how we could just believe one, one way was right and all the other ways were wrong. And so I, I just sort of wrote it all off, I think. And if I would have said something, I would have said alive is alive, dead is dead. That's all there is. And so my son, Benjamin, you know, woke me up to life on the other side as he continues to do and has continued to do. 
Yeah. Well, that is one of the reasons that I wanted to speak to you. You know, I'm wearing a sweater right now, but I'm getting chills, even though I, I have the book beside me every night and I read a little part of it. But um, it is such a blessing for anyone that has experienced loss to know that. Now, I'm going to, you know, shoot ahead a little bit, but you said that that was the first time that Ben appeared to you in his human form. And of course, we're going to get into um, uh, the fact that he was with you in other forms. And in fact, I was looking at the cover of your book um, a few minutes ago, and I noticed that the cover, the, the picture that you have on here is like a bird or a hawk, right? Yeah. Be- because you said that he, you used the word flapped around, like if he was flapping around on, in other forms, um, mm-hmm. you know, all the time. So, um, yeah. Um, uh, so in your experiences, you, you mentioned that um, it was a blessing to open the door, you know, even though his death was, um, you know, rock your world. Um, mm. And um, for a long time, too, that you couldn't, you had a doorway. And I know that at one point in time, you you were able to feel his his energy, you know, mm-hmm. like he was, you felt that was, he was in distress. And I, yeah. and I heard since I started reading your book, I was, you know, I follow um, Seth Guru and he talks a lot about life or death. Mm-hmm. And he said that whenever you die suddenly from like suicide or, you know, a bullet or maybe like a heroin overdose or something, then your spirit is, um, it can't seem to find peace. So what did you, can you tell us about that? Because I'm really interested in, in uh, you know, before we go on to the cure, how that came about for you as far as learning about the other side. Yeah. So after he passed, you know, so much happened in that week. And and then we could have a whole conversation about funerals and funeral directors and how they can be very insensitive. But um, one thing that he, uh, I could feel him as other people, as people left and I was by myself in the house, um, I was in this state, I was so distraught that uh, my bedroom was upstairs. I couldn't get up the steps. So I would be on the steps and I would be crying and screaming and screaming for Ben and screaming until I threw up and, and, and threw up until I was throwing up blood. So I was a mess. I mean, I was truly a mess. And I could feel him around me. I knew that he was around me just frantic, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. And so, although I could sense him, I couldn't hear him. So I did what my logical mind would never have done before. I opened the phone or the, you know, the computer phone books are out. So I'm dating myself, (laughs) open Google, Mr. Google and looked up (laughs) uh, mediums. And so mediums in Fairfax County, Virginia, and this whole page popped up. And this is all new to me, too, because I, in my little world, never came across anybody who was a medium or doing a lot of spiritual stuff. It just wasn't my world. Mm-hmm. And so one, one person's picture looked a little bit larger than the others. And I thought, well, I'll take that one. <laughs> it turns out this is a way spirit has been guiding me now to buy a house, to do many things. Something looks different. And mm-hmm. that's how it spirit communicates because you know we don't always hear the words we can't always translate what spirit's saying and so um i went there and 
it was about three weeks after he passed. And I said, look, you know, he came in right behind me. He's standing right there in the corner. See him. He's shaking the candle. See the candle there. He's shaking, shaking. He's shaking the candle. Let you know he's there. Can you tell me what he's saying? I can't hear him. Wow. And so we had a wonderful session and she told me things that really resonated because it sounded like him. Okay. Something like mom, it is what it is. It was a boneheaded move and wow. you know, things like that, that just sounded like him. And okay. so after it was all finished, she said, you know, you might have some abilities yourself because most of my clients have no idea that their loved one is right there or any of that. And, yeah. and so that was sort of the intro because for me to begin studying mediumship and spirituality, and really, I just wanted to talk to my son. And I, you know, that was my motivation at that moment. And, right. but it led me in the right path to the right people that directed me deeper and deeper into spiritual things that I had no knowledge of before. Yeah, I think you said that you you were clairsentient, right? Was that the right one? Yeah. Um, because there's clairvoyant and clairsentient, and clairsentient is the feeling one. So yeah, the feeling, sensing one. Yep. Right. So what 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 she said was that um, what the medium said is like spirits are there, but a lot of us can't feel them. Right. Did she tell you what? I know the other thing I heard. That one of the reasons that we can't feel spirits is because when when you die, your energy is at a higher frequency and somebody has to lower their frequency in order for us to sense them. Is that true? That's my experience. It's sort of like okay. uh, when you go to uh, a Buddhist temple or you go into the, cat, to the Catholic church or any church, there's hymns, there's singing, there's smoke, mm-hmm. there's all this. And it's all a way of changing the vibration. And vibration. you know, when you yeah, mm-hmm. walk into a sacred spot, it has that different feeling mm-hmm. and it makes mm-hmm. it easier in my perception for spirits to come down mm-hmm. in this okay. realm. Mm-hmm. All right. Our next partner is Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. Green Chef makes eating easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, or just looking to eat more balanced meals, Green Chef offers a wide range of recipes to suit your preferences. Green Chef saves you time by cutting down on weekly meal planning, prepping, and grocery shopping with pre-measured and prepped ingredients that come straight to your door, leaving you with more time to savor the sunshine. Green Chef is the only keto meal kit which makes sticking to a carb-conscious lifestyle easy. I'm trying to eat a paleo diet and I love the convenience of Green Chef and that everything I need for my paleo recipes are all in one box. I love the fact that my spices and sauces come in small packages along with my recipe cart. A couple of my favorite recipes are the Italian beef patties with mozzarella, balsamic, tomato, pepper jam, squash, and broccoli. Tasted like I was eating in Italy. (laughs) Another of my favorite recipes is the Southwest Turkey Stuffed Peppers with cauliflower rice and Monterey Jack cheese. I'm a fan of stuffed peppers, and this recipe was better than anything I ever made before. Head over to greenchef.com backslash transform135 and use code transform135 to get $135 off.
five boxes plus free shipping on your first box. The website again is G-R-E-E-N-C-H-E-F dot com backslash transform 135. This episode is brought to you by the Jordan Harbinger Show. Want a new podcast to look forward to every week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in rotation, so you're most likely not only listening to the Transform Your Mind podcast. So I'll love to share podcasts to add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top-shelf podcast named Best in Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. I really think there isn't a better podcast to listen to casually or seriously to expand your worldview. He's also got a strangely relatable weekly segment called Feedback Friday, where he covers advice in everything from relationships and networking to asking for a raise. You can't go wrong with adding the Jordan Harbinger show to your rotation. It's incredibly interesting. There's never a dull show. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So I think, you know, from your book, you said that he was, he was frank with all this flapping around. And then I think you said that he calmed down. So did he calm down? He was flapping around because he wanted to talk to you or communicate with you or let you hear what he was saying. And and then after you kind of established a conversation with the medium, he calmed down or was, um, uh, this is a deep question, Um, but I know you know it because you've studied it, but, or did he calm down because the energy that was left from the sudden death started to dissipate? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. You know, I think, I think it's a little of both. And I think it, it couldn't dissipate until he was able to reassure me because my being yeah. frantic. And if you sign that people that sign into my website, they get eight things spirits on the other side, wish you knew. And, and so when one of the things that they wish you knew is that as you stay stuck and in trauma, it prevents them from fully moving on and doing what they need to do on the other side. Yeah. Because they are watching, they're seeing, and people say, well, if they go to heaven or, you know, Nirvana or wherever you think that place is, how can they come back? And they say, well, it's not prison. So they're allowed to come back and forth, right? And sometimes they come back and forth easily. And sometimes they're a little stuck in between worlds and they need a little help. Okay. So, Mm -hmm. So the answer to the question, you're saying that as you calm down, that mm-hmm. you know that he was okay, and he said it was a bonehead decision, and he said it's all right, then his energy became to dissipate. So this was how long ago now, today, dating back? Seven years. Seven years. That's mm-hmm. a good, nice number. Mm-hmm. So I think you said in the book that you, he, you started to see him less and less. But you from but before we started recording, you said that you could feel his presence. So mm-hmm. is he still a part of your world? Oh yeah, for Spirit sure. Form? 
Yeah. So, you know, I became a shaman. I do shamanic healing. Part of shamanic healing is helping people to die and helping spirits cross over in the other world. I do a lot of that kind of work. And so Ben will help me. I'll call him if I have a young person who's committed suicide or sudden death or something that sometimes suicides get a little stuck because there's so much bad, um, talk about suicides that they're going to hell and all this kind of stuff. And so they're a little scared. They don't know what to be. So I can call Ben and he'll say, Hey man, come with me. I'll show you the ropes. I'll show you. It's beautiful on the other side. You have nothing to fear. And then they're able to, they're able to cross peacefully. So we we kind of work together on, on things like that. (laughs) Absolutely incredible story. All right. Now let's circle back to him appearing in human form when he wants. Why do you think that is? I think it's very hard for spirits to appear in as their physical form. I think that's hard to hold that. And so mostly we just feel them as energy or we get a sense of them, a smell of them, a feel of their presence, but not that physical appearance. I think he could do that maybe one time. Uh, it seems like energy leaves right yeah and then it was it's kind of yeah they become more ethereal as time goes on okay all right well I think I've answered all my spiritual questions that I had (laughs) okay Uh, all right one last one for the listeners so we're talking about life after debt um And um, so if you were going to, you know, people have lost a lot of people over, um, you know, the pandemic, you know, and and I've had some people, you know, some interviews on, um, you know, wives losing spouses. I've actually never had one with a mother losing a son, but um, uh, the grief is profound. So what kind of solace can we have? as far as missing our loved ones or feeling their presence, should we be scared when we feel their presence or, you know, what kind of advice you can give on that? Yeah. So I think sometimes people say, Oh, I'm, I, I would, I'd love to see my loved one, but it, it, I find it scary at the same time. I really don't want them appearing. So if you have that kind of um, dynamic going on, I think they don't want to appear. Right. And so a lot of times we're scared. I mean, I, I don't think before I saw Ben, he just kind of showed up. If I'd have thought about it, I probably would have said, oh, I don't know about that. That sounds like, you know, a little scary. Yeah. So um, I think I think a lot of that goes on and it, it depends. You know, it just depends how they show themselves to you. They try to show themselves in a way that you can comprehend that isn't going to be too much. Maybe a butterfly, maybe a touch, maybe a bird, maybe um, wind chimes. One man said he told his dad, now, whenever you pass, I want you to ring the wind chimes when you're around. And so the wind isn't blowing and the wind chimes will will ring. So I think I think we can get them to do things that, that they can do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's awesome. So we should all feel comfortable, comfortable, comforted that um, that they're in a better place. Mm-hmm. And that they're okay and that they're still there. Sometimes they become our angels mm-hmm. and they're watching over. Um, and uh, if they do show up, there's nothing to be scared of. 
Now, when they show up, what is the purpose of them showing up? Is there because they want to be with you? They want to try to talk to you? Or what was the purpose of Ben showing up um, to, to you? For for him, I think he wanted to he wanted to let me know that he was all right because I was suffering so greatly. Like, is he okay? And where is he? And is he upset? And you know, did he die missing? Did he call for his mom? And I wasn't there. And you know, all the grief and shame, blame, you know, shame, blame, guilt, that triangle, we can all get stuck in there in our grieving because we're not totally rational and we think every, you know, we think we had control. And if we had done this differently or that differently, if I hadn't gone to Korea, if I hadn't done that, if I had just been there, this wouldn't have happened. Not true. It's not true. And it's not real. But our mind creates these stories that make us suffer. And so I think he came to help me be able to not suffer to get let go of some of these stories. And other spirits might come, they might have a message and say, you know, the want to tell somebody, hey, the, the life insurance policy I, I hid under the drawer. You know what I mean? There could be all kinds of reasons. I've, I've actually heard that one. I've yeah. heard that one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. You know, or, or they just want to come to a child that's grieving so much and just let them know and have that feeling of, oh, that presence of that, that spirit, that father spirit, that mother spirit. So sometimes they just want to be there for us in the best way that they can be. <clears throat> How long do these normally stick around for? Is it forever or a certain short a period of time? I think it depends on why they're sticking around and how your grieving process goes. Ben okay. stuck around. He was really more attached and more stuck in between worlds for about a year and a half. And okay. then we did a shamanic intervention that helped him to cross over. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend helped me do that, a uh, colleague. And then, um, but sometimes they can, they'll cross, they'll, they'll fully, cro- they'll be fully crossed over and they come back and forth less and less just because they're watching you and they see you're in a better place. They're watching the family, they're observing, they're oh, so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, so beautiful. Wow. I hope that a lot of people listen to this, that this is so comforting and so beautiful. Mm. And and that's why you wrote the book. Now, we didn't spend a lot of time talking about the grieving part of it. Um, So after you were able to talk to to Ben three weeks after he died, because that was a short period, did you find that your grieving started to settle down? Because I know you're still grieving seven yeah. years into it you're still grieving but I did the intensity settle yeah the the intensity somewhat I mean I was on a long journey you know of of suffering and and learning because we tell ourselves so many stories I had to learn how to not cause myself so much suffering and release the suffering the pain is real we don't release the pain but we can release the stories that make us suffer so much. And so that took me a while. That's not such an easy lesson to learn when you're coming from me. I had no background in this. And so how can we deal with suffering? How can we deal with the stories? How, we, how can we transmute that energy, alchemize it, if you will, so that, right. we, can, so that we can move in our grief? Okay. Yeah. So you're able to move in your grief. All right. So that was the perfect transition to um, shamanism. You said that shamanism um, allowed you to get into, you know, to move through your grief and your healing journey. Um, So tell us what that is. And I know from reading your book, 
you said you're right. You actually said that a minute ago too. That the the medium that you went to suggested that you look into that, and I know you got on a plane and and went off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you know went into that. Like you were obviously open and susceptible to um uh, to new experiences, right? Mm-hmm. So that was about about a not even a year, maybe nine months after he passed. I had mm-hmm. been in the spiritual world and learning things and growing. And I had gone to an evolutionary astrologer who said, hey, I had another woman who had a reading like yours that became a shaman. And I'm like, a shaman? I thought that they were gone. I didn't know there were any. I didn't know there was neo-shamanism. So I did what any left brain person would do. I went to Mr. Google and Mr. Google said, try the four winds. You know? so okay. I contacted their office office. And three weeks later, I'm on a plane to um, California, Joshua Tree, California. And um, thinking to myself, oh, these people aren't going to be anything like me. I'm not going to fit in. I'm going to be too old. I'm going to be too this. I'm going to be too that. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just go down the road to the spa and have a nice spa week. Right. I don't know about all this. And um, I got there and I just loved it, you know, and I loved the people. And so that was the beginning of the South direction of the medicine wheel. And the South direction of the medicine wheel is where you learn to shed your past the way the serpent sheds its skin. So we're looking at all our old um, wounds and things that are bothering us and troubling old ways of thinking and being all those things. And we're learning how to work with that, how to let it go by a process called illumination. So that's the first healing um, medicine that we learn in the South direction. Okay. Welcome to Authenticity Atlas podcast, where your two hosts, Tati and Dana. We are two corporate professionals and best friends. And we want to openly share our journeys from living in low self-worth to discovering a life of authenticity and high self-worth. We talk about all areas of life, such as wellness, spirituality, relationships, astrology, manifestation, and many other topics. We will be also sharing some of our most intimate and personal stories. So get ready. And I'm thinking to myself, this is such a great American experience. Uh, losing the Virginia, the prom night to a prom king. In a way, like I started believing that I was crazy and that nobody else would want me because that's how he kind of made it seem. And I believed him. The second time around, you pick exactly what you want. So I would like to say that I'm not single. I'm in between husbands right now. Just because I've done bad things before or what I would consider bad doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. I can't wait to share all of these tools with the world. Buckle up and get ready for the ride of your lives on the Authenticity Atlas podcast. They, they teach you how to shed your skin and, 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 and how do you guys do that? Do you do it by meditation? Do you do it by coaching? How do they, how do they do it? Yeah, we do it. it. The shaman work is all working with the luminous energy field. And we know we have a luminous energy field because, you know, when someone's alive and vibrant, it's up. And when someone's gone, it's just not there. Right. So we have this mm. field of energy around us. 
Mm-hmm. And so we do that. Shamans learn to do that. And, and by the way, shamanism is not a religious practice. So we have shamans that are priests and rabbis and, you know, all sorts of people train in using any energy medicine to help people. And so we do it by a process called illumination. And we have what we call medicine stones. Mm-hmm. And we use our stones to help people heal. The stones are things we blow into our own wounds and we work with them in um, mandalas and different ways to energize those stones. And then other people can blow their wounds into the stones. And then we use a process where we um, um, allow them to breathe and breathe out, you know, the breath is a metaphor for shamanic work. So we're breathing in newness and freshness and we're breathing out staleness and old ways. And so we're allowing them to breathe and release and release and release with a medicine stone on one of their chakras. And then at the end of this process, we open our Wiracocha. Wiracocha is what, if you look at the pictures of the Christ and saints and the Buddha, they have this halo. We all have Mm. that. So we reach up into our halo and open it up. And then we bring this divine light down into the chakra, the person's chakra. So they've released heaviness and we're replacing it with divine light. And it's profoundly healing. Yeah, it's profoundly healing. So that's how shamans kind of work with um, wounds. Interesting how you were directed into that. And I can now see why you, you said that, you know, you know, the yin and the yang, the death of your son. Yeah. Um, and 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 how that opened you up. And nobody wants to have the death of your son to be the doorway, but uh, it it turned out to be. So yeah. that was that's a you know that's a, that's a, that's a beautiful thing, um, because I am pretty sure that this work. And obviously, you decided to pack up um, as a judge. And I remember in your book, you're saying that they wouldn't even give you time off for your son's death. <laughs> Yeah, the corporate the corporate world is not very good at dealing with death and loss. And so um, yeah. I called in and they said, well, you can have two hours off for the funeral. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> I can't comprehend that at all. <laughs> can't even comprehend it, you know. So and then, it, you know, it was a big kerfluffle. And then, OK, you can have some administrative leave. And then I, I ended up taking a couple days of vacation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I went back far too early because yeah. I felt such pressure. Oh, but you have uh, uh, court appearances and you have uh, decisions to write and you have this and, you know, it's going to be, how are we going to change this all around? And so I'm like, so I'm trying, you know, trying not to cry all day long while I'm trying to sit there. I went back far too soon because of the pressure, you know, the pressure is really harsh for people. It's also heartless too. Um, But um, yeah. So what I'm trying to say though, is that that allowed you to, I love the the metaphor of shedding. You shed all that stuff and then Mm -hmm. you moved into the light, you know, you shed all that, that skin or heaviness or whatever. So, so that was great. So I know there's four, um, four parts of the wheel. So you have the South, you know, can you take us through the other three? Yep. So the South, and then we move to the West and the West has to do with death and dying and fear of death, right? Most of us are really, really afraid of death and dying ours and people that we love. And Mm -hmm. so we work with that. And sometimes we work with it. Sometimes people have energies and entities and dark, little, little bit dark energies that we learn to extract and take out in the West. 
And then uh, in the north direction, we move to hummingbird medicine. So the, the West medicine is jaguar medicine, jaguar who uh, fearlessly calls whatever is dead and dying in the jungle. And so we want to be like jaguar, impeccable and calling whatever's dead and dying within us. Mm. And so then we move to hummingbird medicine and hummingbird, you know, you think, oh my gosh, such a little bird. Look at this hummingbird teach us stillness in motion. You know, it's little wings are flapping and it's still, right? And, <laughs> and it's we, always singing, right? <laughs> and below, looking for food and looking for the sweetest nectar. Hummingbirds feast on nectar. They don't go to the dung heap. They don't go there. They go to the nectar of life. Mm. Right. So that's that metaphor for drinking only from the sweetest nectar of life. So hummingbird medicine. And then we end up with eagle medicine, eagle medicine, eagles fly high. So, you know, eagles have been the standard for, you know, the United States. So many, they, it flies high. It's the only bird that flies over all the storms of life, always looking Mm -hmm. for a clearing. And it has to do with destiny. So the East direction and, and eagle medicine has to do with finding your highest destiny flying high, being able to fly high over obstacles. That's beautiful. I love it. I actually did. I have um, an episode that I, you know, when I learned about the Eagles and um, I have an episode that on the show um, talking about, you know, what the Eagle does, you know, with storms, you know, people always run from the storms, but the Eagle loved the storms and it flies over the storm so i love that yes yeah looking for the clearing and so we should all be like that i'll see all the storms we get so stuck in how can we you know transcend that a little bit yes yeah that's beautiful so so somebody goes into the the shaman training and then do they become shamans after or they just it's just like a course yeah, it's a course, but uh, they can become, they can choose, they can, maybe they just want to go through it for their own healing. And okay. maybe they want to go through it to heal others. So I teach shamanism for the four winds. And so, um, you know, I have students that, that do some do one thing and some do the other. Okay. Yeah, I think that I think that that's, a, that's great. That's absolutely great. Okay. So um, now, including in shamanism, you talk about mindfulness tips and you said that um there are some mindfulness tips that can help us with grief and loss can you Mm -hmm. share those sure so what i talk about in my book is the journey of the bereaved and the journey of the bereaved is through transition resurrection and rebirth and that's the same process our loved ones go through so their transition is from their physical form to the spiritual one they resurrect on the other side whoa here i am now what (laughs) and then after a while they're either reborn maybe recycled reborn into a new life or reborn into their after life and so the we the bereaved this is our special journey too because we go through transformation too from having this person to not having this person, right? And then after a while, if if we can move some of this energy, we can have this opportunity to resurrect, to look around and say, okay, so now what, what next? Mm -hmm. And then finally to get to the rebirth part where we actually use the energy of grief to create a new life out of the ashes of the old, which seems like a really unbelievable thing. But when you think about other big events in life, like parenthood and marriage, we know they have transformative energy. 
mm-hmm. know that life is never the same. Life is never good. And with grief or in our culture, we want to avoid it because we associate it with sadness and despair. Mm-hmm. And so people that are grieving are often told it's time to move on. It's time to get over it. Yeah. Let's not talk about that. Yeah. Right. So oftentimes people become even more stuck in their grief because they become isolated and alone and they know that we're making people uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And so I, what, what I like people to know, if anything, anybody has a takeaway is that grief is a journey. It's not a one-time thing and it has no time frame. and your journey is going to be different than anybody else's and what not to say to somebody. Don't say, you know, it's time to move on. It's time to just, just let them be, let them be. And allow them to go on this journey so that they can use these practices. So in the South direction, each, each direction has four practices associated with mindfulness, things that people have heard in other contexts. So um, we talk about non-judgment. Mm-hmm. So one of the practice non-judgment, who are, who are you judging and who's judging you? And what I ask people to do is to approach these practices in a very ceremonial way to have, because we want to get out of our everyday reptilian brains, fear, Mm -hmm. fighting, food, all that kind of stuff. We want to get to the neocortex, the brain of ceremony. And the Mm -hmm. way we get to that higher brain is through ceremony. It's like walking into a church, walking Mm -hmm. into a church or cathedral. And if you see um, candles, you just almost automatically go there and like light a candle, right? Mm -hmm. So we know fire is transformative. We know Mm -hmm. that the sacred is transformative. So I ask people to sit in silence with a pipe pan and a candle and a, and a matchbook and a piece of paper and pen and write down, who are you judging and who's judging you? Sometimes it's our brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and aunts and uncles, people that we don't want to talk about, right? You want to say, you let me down. You weren't there. I'm mad at you. So this is a way to deal with it in a spiritual way, to write it down with radical honesty. And we can write it down with radical honesty because we're going to burn it. Uh, So nobody's going to see it. Nobody's going to find it. Nobody's going to get their feelings hurt. And so we're going to take our everything, but maybe we're judging ourselves. I know I sure judge myself, write it all down. And then burn it in the fire with the intention of releasing it and allowing your heart to open to new ways of being. So that's, again, we're doing this, we're releasing and we're bringing in, we're releasing and we're bringing in. And then another practice in the South, this is how we become unstuck in the South. We're looking at non-suffering. So write down the stories. I should have done this. I could have done that. They didn't want to go to the doctor. I should have made them. All those shoulds, mm-hmm. right? I should have, yeah. could have, would have. And, yeah. and all these stories we tell ourselves are really not true. And they're really not real because we didn't have the control that we want to pretend that we have in hindsight. Right. And we could have right. made our loved one do this or made them not do that yeah. or not go to the party or go to the doctor. We don't really have that control. And so we're beating ourselves up really about things that we had no control over. So taking that to the fire too, writing down all those stories is so cathartic for people, right? It's like, you don't even realize what you're carrying, what baggage you're carrying and you're telling yourself and burning those two. Non, um, non-attachment. Sometimes we really get attached. I became attached to the role of grieving mother. <laughs> become attached to widow, widower. And it's so heavy. These roles are so heavy. We almost can't 
carry them. You know, we almost are slumping over. You see people slumping in their grief. They're carrying this heaviness. And so even those sort of things, taking those roles to the fire and allowing them to go. And then at the end of that first direction, then we talk about beauty, the practice of beauty. <sighs> you know, so many times if we're caretaking somebody who's been ill for a long time, we have a child that's in addiction, we have someone in COVID suffering for a while, we forget totally about the practice of beauty. What brings us beauty? And sometimes I like to have people write practice beauty on their refrigerator on a man, you know, a piece of paper and stick it on the refrigerator. What is one thing that you can do today that you love that brings you happiness and joy? Just one thing, a flower, um, a watch a show, whatever, one thing that just brings you go to a movie, go to um, an art show, whatever, and just begin every day to do one thing and it builds on itself. So we want to dig neural networks. You know, our brains are amazing things. So neuroscience tells us we, when we ruminate and we think the same dark and dismal thoughts, we're digging these neural networks deeper and deeper to the point where we feel like we can't get out. So practicing beauty, we're beginning to dig new neural networks. We're getting back in touch with joy and happiness and love, you know, instead of just staying in our, our, those networks, those places of the holes that we've been digging for ourselves in our grief and the, which our society teaches us is the way to go, right? There's really no uh, win in grieving. So if you don't grieve long enough, boy, she sure didn't seem to care very much. Didn't affect her. <laughs> and if you grieve too long, oh, she needs some medication, right? She's really in bad shape. So you might as well grieve in your own way and do it the way that feels right to you because you're not, there's no, you're not going to get everybody signing up and saying, boy, that was the perfect way to grieve. There's, there's none of that, you know, so yeah. a lot yeah. of judgment with it. Well, that was great. Yeah. A couple of circle. Yeah. A couple of circle backs there. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, there's a saying that time heals all wounds in, you know, society always thinks that, okay, it's been, it's been some time now you need to move on or whatever. And even if they don't physically say it, you know, they're thinking it. And mm -hmm. as, and as, as spiritual beings, we can pick it up. We can perceive mm -hmm. what they're saying, but, you know, um, in my life, you know, I, I've been fortunate, you know, to be in my sixties and I've only lost my grandmother and, you know, she was 80 something years old mm -hmm. and, you know, there was not too much heavy grieving there, but I've, I have learned about grief from people that around me, for instance, my daughter um, was engaged to a young man and he committed suicide and he was the same age as your son around, you know, 27 or so just before his 28th birthday and she grieved and, you know, I had to watch her. And then I've, I've spoken to a lot of women that have lost their husbands. And um, one of the things I've learned from, you know, that group is that um, grief never really ends. It just, it is just, um, it is not as intense as it was the intensity or the times between, I mean, so, you know, one woman talked a bit of a, about a wave that's knocking you over. She's saying mm -hmm. that, the, you know, the wave still knocks you over five years into it, but it, it doesn't come as frequent 
There was a time when you couldn't get your head above the water and it was knocking you down. As soon as you get up, it will knock you down again. Um, and, you know, so, so I understand that and I've understand. So now when I'm talking to somebody that's grieving, I don't expect them to have like an end date. I, you know, I'm just thinking that, you know, uh, the, the space between mm-hmm. when they feel really bad is, is getting wider and wider. Is that how you would, you would, um, you know, um, categorize it as far as grief? Yeah, I think, I think there's some wisdom in that. And I think, however, that um, some people really get stuck in their grief and they can't find their way out. Um, and they, you know, make their loved ones room into a shrine or they stay in their house and they right. really become consumed with it. And so I've heard about that shrine thing, not nothing changed. Nothing. <laughs> and right. They go in there all the time and right. Yeah. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah, yeah. I think sometimes they need a little bit of help. And so my book, a lot of many books that deal with grief and loss talk about, okay, here's your first step. Now you're going to, you know, going to go and have a date or you're going to do this, or you're going to go to a party or you're going to do that. And people are like, I can't, I can't. So my book is almost like a spiritual prequel, a cleansing, if you will. Let's okay. cleanse out the heaviness. Let's cleanse out. Let's make your, let's, let's talk about re- regeneration and rebirth and one of the practices is called indigenous alchemy. And I love that term because oh, I had to look it up. I'm like, I love words. And I'm like, indigenous alchemy. That's not, I want some of that, I Listen, think. I just, I I'm just sure what that is. Book, the Alchemist, and it was one of the most powerful books. So when yeah. I hear about alchemy, I know exactly what you're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's indigenous alchemy means native or inherent desire for transformation. And I think we as humans are really hardwired for transformation and change. And when we keep ourselves stuck in grief, you know, that energy stays stuck in our body and it can make us sick. Mm -hmm. You know, years later, we can come up with big illnesses because we have so much unresolved grief. So what I like to suggest for people is to really work with these practices, each one, there's 16. And Mm -hmm. so if you really deeply do the work and take it to spirit and take it to a candle and write everything down and have this big intention intention is so powerful to release there can be profound change that will enable you then to go to a party have fun maybe go on a date or whatever it is but almost like we have to do a little spiritual work first yeah yeah we all have to do the work yeah spiritual work is very very important in everything whether it's you know transfer you know transforming the energy of grief whether it's you know um uh, the law of attraction that you're trying to attract or whatever yes you've got to do the work whether it's a relationship that you know that you're you know you're at odds with someone and their their energy is always conflicting yes you know anything that you need to move forward with that you need to do energy work because energy is 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 very important so that's awesome so yeah, you, you talked about your book a minute ago. So let's get deeper into the book. So the book is called um, Living Grieving, Using Energy Medicine to Alchemize Grief and Loss. So, you know, for those of you watching on video, um, this is what it looks like. So yeah, so um, tell us about the book. Um, what, why did you write it? I know you wanted to share, you know, the, the story of your son, 
But I think if you have, a, like you said, a, um, you wanted to help people transform their grief, you know, use, using it as alchemy. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, so tell us why you wrote it and, uh, you know, tell people where they can find your, your website and your courses. And, yeah. and obviously they know they can get your book on Amazon, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So I wrote it. I mean, I, I, I ended up um, after I went on sort of beginning my spiritual journey and beginning shamanism, I ended up selling my home and all my possessions. And I went on two and a half year trip around the world, trying to understand grief and loss. It just seems so incomprehensible to me. It's like this big elephant. And how do you deal with this? And, um, and so I really thought in the beginning, I would just be writing a blog or something and it turned into a book. And I feel like the book was downloaded, just like the, um, um, the journey of the bereaved transition, resurrection, rebirth, and how we can get there. And then all the steps, you know, these, these um, beautiful practices that Alberto Viotto so brilliantly associates with the medicine wheel, and that allow people to use these practices to transform. So that was my idea as it went along. I thought, oh my God, this is, I want to, I want to touch people. I want to help people. I want to show people a way to live with their grief. Cause we, you know, we don't get over it. We, it's not, I called it living grieving. We're living right. with every day. We're yeah. transformed. We're changed. Our world has shifted. And so yep. how can we make something out of this, something better? How can we create a new life out of the ashes of the old by honoring our loved ones. You know, a lot of people say, if I'm, if I create a new life, that'll, my loved one will think I don't love them or that I didn't care about them or right. We have these notions, but what if we're, this is honoring our loved ones, our transformation. So you can find me at karenjohnson.net and um, you can find the book living grieving on Amazon. I do shamanic work. I help people with death and dying people that are in the process of dying or people that have passed on or widows, um, people who, the survivors, I call us the survivors. And the book is really written for the survivors. How can we, the survivors, um, continue on? Yeah. And I have a class coming up. It'll probably start the end of April and it's a five-week class and we do it. We go through the book um, direction by direction in community which is so nice to see other people and be with other people who are experiencing uh, loss and grief and who are going through all these practices. Each week we do four practices individually, and then we get on zoom and talk about it. It's profoundly healing for people. Yeah. So I just signed into I, my website. You can find out about my class and all okay. that. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah. Karen Johnson.net. Right. I've got it. So um, and what's your social media handles? How can they follow you? Okay. So on Facebook, Karen Johnson healing and Instagram, same thing, Karen Johnson healing. Yeah. And I also have, um, YouTube. You can look me up on YouTube. I have lots of videos on shamanic journeying and, okay. and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's awesome. Well, yes, <laughs> you didn't disappoint, you know, um, we spend a lot of 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 um of our talk on um transitioning from you know life to debt you know using your your experiences with your son as as a focal point and um uh, you know uh, 
you know, reading your book, I know how deeply you loved your son and how deeply your, your, your trauma was. And to see you so peaceful and to see mm-hmm. you so, you know, you've transformed that energy. Um, it is good for, you know, anybody that's in this space to know that um, this is possible. It's yeah. possible if you do the work, you know, whether it's, you know, taking your class um, on shamanism or, you know, even reading your book, you know, mm-hmm. that's a, a very inexpensive way. <laughs> it's a little different perspective on grieving. So you can right. maybe look at it in a slightly different way. And the people find that to be very helpful too. So they're mm-hmm. not stuck in old notions of how grief is supposed to look or feel can maybe, you know, just change it a little bit so we can yeah. begin to see the light. And what's also powerful is because you you talked about, and I know from reading your book that you went through that too. Um, you know, what could you have done differently? You know, who was at fault? I know in your son's case, you know, you could have blamed a lot of people. You could have blamed the person that sold it to him. You, yeah. you said, you know, you, you, you blamed you for, because I know when you were thinking of going on a trip, you had to convince yourself to go. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, and 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 like I said, I I I have the experience with my with my daughter and the suicide. And I will tell you that she went into that what if stuff for a long time. Yeah. You know, they had a fight and he decided to commit suicide. And she was thinking that if she didn't say this or she didn't do this, and the mother was saying, you know, if she did this and whatever. And, and that made their recovery so much longer. Oh, so yeah, yeah if you okay, can yes. get out of, you know, the blaming or what ifs, mm-hmm. um, that is that is powerful right there. Judgment, you call it. Right. Yeah, shame, blame, guilt, you know, that trifecta that yeah. gets us. And we're very good as humans as finding all our faults. Yeah. But now well, we what, have but, you know, what you peace. didn't do, you know, it's... I don't think you can ever actually escape that because you will, you know, um, yeah. I, I think that in any time that you, someone dies and you're, you're always thinking of something that you could have done to yeah, save them. For sure. For <laughs> sure. It's a natural it's thing. Huh? Sorry. Yeah, it, it is. And that's why we have to take it to spirit. We have to take it to God and ask for transformation and allow our, our hearts to change and to open to other ways. Cause otherwise, you know, we can get very stuck in our grief and, and not be able to find a way out and find ourselves. I know one man didn't tell anybody about his son's death for 16 years and 16 years later, oh he goodness. fell apart. Had a, so, you know, you can grieve early. You can work with it early. You can work with it later, but you have to work with it. We, because we have this innate desire for transformation and, and, and trying to keep ourselves stuck and keep it all down is just a way to make ourselves sick. Yeah. So I love that. You know, um, I did the fire thing myself, um, you know, um, where you would write something down and, and, and burn it. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, you know, the reason that I did mine, they're saying, you know, if you want to say something to someone, you download it and you don't really have to give it to them. But once you download it, um, it's, it's, it's off of your mind. So yeah. it's, it's a good healing journey. So, Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And sometimes we're surprised by how many things we're carrying around when we start writing it down. Oh yeah, this story, that story, this person, that person. Ah, and think about all that kind of rattling around all that heavy negative stuff. And when we can release it, it, it can provide, prov- present profound healing. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. I love it. So yeah, it's almost the same. They're saying write letters and don't mail it, but yeah, downloading is, um, is very, very important. Right. Okay. Well, all right, Karen. So thank you very much. You did not disappoint. I loved, (laughs) I loved our conversation. Um, I love the fact that you has transitioned yourself. Um, I love the fact that, um, you, um, you know, your experience with your son, Ben, regardless, you know, it was painful, but I'm actually just coming, you know, right now to the realization that pain serves its purpose, you know? (laughs) Yep. It's always, there's always the blessing and the curse, you know, it's always that there's not one without the other. Yes, exactly. The pain service purpose and and your pain transformed you. And, you know, I can see it and, you know, for you listeners that are listening, you know, I'm hoping that you can use Karen as your model that yeah, pain can be, can be transformed um, and you can find your purpose and destiny you know, like the eagle, you know, the storm, (laughs) you know, love the storm and fly over the storm. So that's beautiful. So um, Karen, yeah. So um, if you guys head over to her website, karenjohnson.net, you will find, you know, all the things that, um, uh, that that Karen offers. And um, as far as shamanism, um, uh, I will have a transcript of my conversation with Karen on the show page, which is blog.myhelps.us. And I know this is one of the ones that you're definitely going to want to listen to again and, you know, probably read some of the steps and and things that you missed, um, you know, on the audio. Um, And I would also have links to her website and links to her book. So if you missed that as well, that you can get it there. Um, I want to thank you, Karen, for coming on the show. Like Thank I you said, for having um, me. I couldn't... It's been fun. Yeah. <laughs> it was fun. Yes. And you've you expanded my mind on, oh, on um, life after death. I love these conversations because I learned so much. And I'm a I'm like a, an eternal student. I want to yeah. learn something me new too. every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. All right. So as we wrap up, um, any last words? <laughs> Nope. The only, the, the one thing I would leave people with is remember your, your, your grief is a journey and you have your own journey and don't let anybody talk you out of it. And once you see it as a journey, then, you know, you just think, Hey, I have a lot of steps on this journey. I don't have to do it all today. Right. Right. That's true. It's a journey and grief is only one step in that journey. Right. Yeah. Yes. And it was um, preordained. Right. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Karen. Thank you guys for tuning in to Transform Your Mind to Transform Your Life. I hope that your mind was transformed today on my conversation with Karen. So thanks again for tuning in. And until next time, namaste.